Christ alone. In Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong. In the Savior's love, through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. And so, Lord of all, we ask that you would uh, help us preach. Lord Jesus, that uh, our thoughts wouldn't simply be our thoughts, that these words wouldn't simply be my words, that our ears wouldn't simply be our ears, but that you would help us to hear and to think and to speak, that we would be animated by you, Lord Jesus, the cornerstone. It's in your name that we pray, amen. When I was a little boy, I had a lot of dreams. I dreamed of catching the biggest fish. I dreamed of adventure, conquest, battles. On Halloween, I dreamed of being Zorro. And so my mom put a blanket on my back. It's just a towel. I grabbed a stick for a sword. And, and I was Zorro, a warrior, a superhero. My friends... Matt and Duncan, I remember, always wanted to be Batman and Robin. So every day on recess, they'd play Batman and, and Robin at school. My heart so clearly remembers the day when all the boys on the playground chased them down behind the backstop and just beat them up. Shoved their faces in the dirt. I remember their faces covered in dirt, streaked with tears. And where was Zorro? Well, Zorro was buried deep in my heart. And fear and shame. I got teased a lot back then. My nickname was Mr. Decent <laughs> and Pussy. And I was afraid a lot. And so I buried Zorro deep in my heart and I learned that I had no business picking up a sword for my dream of being a warrior was pathetic. By junior high, my dreams of adventure, conquest, and battle had been tamed. But I still couldn't wait to get home and watch reruns of Star Trek. Can you guys do that? To boldly go where no man has gone before. I read somewhere that Star Trek has more fan clubs than any television show in history, like over 600 chapters or something like that. But have you ever been to a Star Trek convention? Middle-aged men with pot bellies dressed like Klingons and Captain Kirk. Trying to live out childhood dreams. It's pathetic. A society of pretenders. A kingdom of pretenders. Sometimes church feels that way, doesn't it? Do you listen to the stories that we tell? We're the army of God. The army of God. Seems like a rather pathetic army to me. It's like a fish story that we tell ourselves. And Jesus is the biggest fish. The king of kings is my best friend. <laughs> and we are the army of God. We are the bride of Christ. As if God would want to be married to us. I mean, maybe we're just a bunch of pretenders, a bunch of actors. And church has become like a, a gig that we do. So we play at church in order to satisfy our own self-centered need for meaning like middle-aged men all dressed up at a Star Trek convention. The movie Galaxy Quest is all about that. It's become a Hyatt family classic, and if you haven't seen it, this is your homework from this sermon. You need to go rent it or get it on Netflix or something and watch it, okay, like ten times. The movie starts at the Galaxy Quest convention. Uh, Tim Allen plays Jason Nesmith in the movie. Uh, Jason Nesmith plays Commander Peter Taggart in the old canceled TV show Galaxy Quest. Playing Commander Peter Taggart, Taggart was, was uh, Jason Nesmith's dream. But now, he and the former cast no longer act on TV, but only 
at Galaxy Quest conventions for middle-aged men, lonely women, and teenage nerds dressed like Klingons. They do it because it's a job, but Jason is still hanging on to his dream. What a freak show, man. Oh, this is hilarious. What a bunch of losers. Begging for autographs at 15 bucks a pop. These guys haven't had a real acting job for 20 years. This is all they've got. Dude, did you check out Nesmith? He actually gets oh, yeah. off on those retards thinking he's a space commander. Oh, and his friends? I know, they can't stand him. Did you hear him ragging on him in there? Dude, he has no idea. He's a laughing stock, even to his buddies. It's pathetic. Oh, come on, come on, the Galaxy Quest dancers are almost on. Ooh, full speed ahead, Lieutenant. <laughs> hey, Commander, uh, so, as I was saying, uh, in the Quasar Dilemma, remember you used the auxiliary of Deck B for, could you get the Deck B for Gamma Override? The thing is, is that online blueprints clearly indicate that Deck B is independent of the Guidance Matrix. So we were wondering just where the error lies in that. It's just a television show, that's all, okay? <laughs> right, but, because we were wondering if the quantum flux, and I just listen on this. There, there is no quantum flux. There's no auxiliary, there's no goddamn ship. You got it? Sorry for the language, but it's a biblical idea that God has damned the ship. Creation has been subjected to futility. So why do we pretend? Dream over. Our scripture for the day. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus has just been baptized. Remember, we preached about that last week. Uh, and tempted by the devil, verse 14. Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, a kingdom is a civilization. It's a civilization or a society. It's a city. King dominion is the dominion of the king. Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. At hand means at hand, not like 2,000 years in the future, but like you could reach out and touch it, or perhaps it can reach out and touch you. It's not just that the new Jerusalem will come down, but that the new Jerusalem, like the Revelation says, is coming down. The kingdom is at hand. Sounds like a fish story, huh? Verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately. But the Gospel of Luke fills in some of the details at this point. Luke shares that Jesus actually got into Simon's boat and said, Simon, push out from shore. And from there, he taught the people on the shore. Then he said to Simon, Luke 5, 4, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon says, but Lord, we fished all night and caught nothing, but at your word, we will let down our nets. They do, and they catch so many fish that the nets are ripping and the boats start sinking. So you want fish? Jesus can catch fish. In fact, more than you can handle. Simon is so blown away by the catch of fish and so intimidated by the super awesome fishing powers of Jesus that Simon begs Jesus to leave, saying, I'm a, I'm a sinful man. He thinks this is far more than even he can, can even dare to dream. But Jesus tells Simon that he'll teach him how to be a fisherman like himself. You know, Jesus has a new name for Simon. You know, you know the name? It's a good name. Peter! Yeah. Well, for Simon Peter, fishing, you see, was much more than a job. It was his life. It was his dream. In John 21, after Jesus is crucified, not knowing what to do, Peter goes fishing. He casts his net into the murky depths of the sea, longing for 
treasure, to pull up treasure. Jesus said the kingdom is like that. It's like a net cast into the depths of the sea. And to the Hebrew mind, the depths of the sea was the dominion of hell. Back to Mark, chapter 1, verse 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So Jesus calls to Peter and he says, I will make you become a fisher of men. Jesus calls us and he knows us when he calls us. Jesus knows our hopes, our desires, our, our dreams. He sees Zorro. He sees Captain Kirk hidden Deep in your soul, he knows us. And so he doesn't say to Peter, I'll make you a Bible scholar. He doesn't say to Paul, I'll make you a fisher of men. He doesn't even say that to James and John, who aren't casting nets, but mending nets with their father. But we do know that James and John will mend the church, and John, having left his father, will write most eloquently of all the disciples about his heavenly father. You know, Moses and David were shepherds, and God made them shepherds of men. Paul was a Pharisee, a Bible scholar for selfish gain, and Jesus turned him into the theologian of grace, a Bible scholar for your gain and, and my gain, for our gain. Mary Magdalene was probably, we don't know this, but probably a harlot. And Jesus revealed to her that she was actually the bride of Christ. I mean, maybe you're a businessman or a businesswoman, and you see, maybe God doesn't want to turn you into a fisher to fisherman. Maybe he wants to turn you into a steward of his kingdom, because, you know, you can't do a lot of fishing without those fishing boats that the stewards of the kingdom seem to provide. You see, we're all so worried that Jesus doesn't really know us. And so he's going to change us into something unnatural, something we don't want to be. Because that's what the church often does. Every believer must act the same, speak the same, dress the same. So we think heaven is like a bad church choir, you know. We all have to sing the psalm wearing the same dang ugly robes. Where all the body parts are exactly the same. It's just not natural. Well, to Peter and Andrew, the fishermen, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say give up all your hope of ever fishing again. Because fishing is evil. It's, it's your old life, bad fishing. Fishing is of this world, evil fishing. Actually, all that fishing must have been preparation for more fishing. Or what he said really didn't make sense, right? So even when Peter was a little boy in Galilee just pretending to fish like most little boys do, even then, God was nurturing and refining skills and desires in Peter's heart. So just as Peter pretended to fish as a boy in preparation for actually fishing as a man, the actual fishing as a man was actually pre preparation, pretending to fish in preparation for actual real ultimate fishing for men with Jesus. And if you didn't follow that, what I'm saying is it appears that the kingdom of this world has this strange and remarkable parallel to the kingdom of God there's some kind of correlation so when the new Jerusalem comes down they they recognize it's Jerusalem and yet not Jerusalem it's totally new and Jesus said behold I make all things new a city or a, a kingdom is a society of desires, hopes, and dreams. It's made up of fishermen, shepherds, bakers, candlestick makers. So whoever you are, if, if you belong to Jesus, um, he's making you new. And he's making his new kingdom even out of things that are old, like you. Out of your old life, your old desires, your old hopes, your old dreams. The kingdom consists of old lives made new and, and and that's a bit confusing 
and a bit strange because Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to pick up a cross. In other words, you need to lose your life. In Genesis 3, we find out that something has gone terribly wrong with our lives. In the Garden of Eden, which means pleasure, Adam and Eve take the fruit of the tree in order to make themselves like God. They, they sin. And yet Adam and Eve, made like God, is God's dream and God's desire. So being like God in the image of God is a good dream and should be our desire but Adam and Eve must have pursued that dream, that desire, in the wrong way. Doubting that God is good, they feared for themselves and seized control of that dream, and the dream died. They could no longer live in Eden. They lost Eden. Many, many years later, the Lord came to old Abraham and Sarah, and he said, Sarah will bear a son. Sarah, listening in on the conversation, laughs out loud, saying, I'm so old, shall I again have pleasure? In Hebrew, shall I again have Eden? And God says, why did you laugh? Well, Sarah had not only lost Eden, she'd lost hoping for Eden, desiring Eden. She despaired of Eden. She despaired of of her dream. 4,000 years later, we know that her dream was actually Jesus. <laughs> he was the promised seed. But you see, she couldn't even begin to dare to dream such a dream. I've told you what one friend heard here in our service one Sunday. In despair, she had prayed, God, I'm willing to feel unloved. And she heard the Lord answer, don't you dare. Don't you dare. You see, to give up on that dream of feeling love is to give up on feeling God. It's to give up hope. I think we're tempted to think God just wants us to give up hope. Jesus gave up his life, but not his hope for living. Give up your life but not your hope for life. Jesus is the life. To just lose your life, period, no desires, no hopes, no dreams, well, that's exactly what Satan wants. And yet, if we simply just followed our own dreams, our own hopes, our own desires, well, it would like make hell on earth. Or maybe it already has. So I might hope to be Zorro, but you'd end up with Genghis Khan or Dr. Evil. I might hope to shepherd the nations, but if I just follow my own hope, well, you'd end up with Hitler. I might hope for fish, but only to feed myself with fish. I might hope to feed the sheep, but only to feed on the sheep, because all my dreams of adventure, conquest, and glory, they've all been like hijacked by me. They may be wonderful God-given dreams, but they're all flying in the wrong direction, the wrong way, and they're all about to crash into the idol of me in the kingdom of me. Beautiful dreams hijacked by me. But maybe they can be hijacked once again by another. See, it's a, it's a beautiful dream to be made in the image of God, and yet it's hell once it's been hijacked by me but maybe it can be hijacked again by another way, go another way, the way, the truth, the life. Maybe our empty dreams can be filled with new meaning. Maybe our self-centered desires can be baptized and redeemed. You know, Jesus did not say simply lose your life. He said, lose your life for my sake and you will find it. A while ago, it occurred to me that I will find it, what I find is it. I mean, not another life, but it. Not Billy Graham's life, but Peter Hyatt's life. And in order to find it, I must be able to recognize it. So for all eternity, I can be grateful for it and enjoy it and say, here it is, my life. 
what I, uniquely I, have always wanted, my Eden. I was lost, but now I'm found. So Jesus said, Peter, Simon Peter, fisherman, I will make you a fisher of men. Follow me. But think about this. To follow Jesus, what must Peter do? He, he must drop his nets. He must drop his own way of filling those desires. He must surrender his dream to live his dream. He must stop fishing to really fish. <laughs> Why do we have to stop fishing to really fish? Why do we have to surrender our desires in order to receive our desires? Why do we have to fish in Galilee in the first place? Why do we have to live in this world of futility and pain in the first place? Why must we live here at all? I mean, God has us fish, and then he takes away the fish. God has us build a house, then it burns down. God has us marry a lover, and then she cheats and moves away. God has us live, and everything dies. He giveth, and he taketh away. Why? Abraham, you'll be the father of many nations. Now go to this city. And like, what, 80 years later, 100 years old, Sarah finally gets pregnant? Why? Moses. Moses, I've called you to deliver my people Israel. And, and you look at Moses' life. He's a prince of Egypt. He's totally set up to deliver Israel. And then God has him herd sheep in the wilderness till he's ready for the nursing home. David, you will be king of Israel. That's why you live here in this cave, being chased like, like, an, like an animal. God, God has them build Jerusalem, and then he arranges for its destruction according to plan. He giveth, and he taketh away. Why? Peter, fish. Fish, Peter. But to really fish, stop fishing. I mean, it's like he's teasing us. Is God teasing us? Is he a tease? Well, you know, I kind of like it when my wife's a tease. <laughs> but she doesn't tease me like the kids on the school ground. I mean, she, she doesn't mean it for evil. She, she means it for good. I mean, we'll go like on a date and she'll wear something sexy. And, and I'll want to reach out and like grab her right then and there. But she won't let me. She's teasing me. So that by the end of the night, a small little passion in me has turned into a, like a, a raging furnace of desire. I mean, maybe, maybe, just maybe, God is teasing us like that. And eternity is like our honeymoon. I mean, we are called the bride of Christ, and he is the great bridegroom. Maybe this world is full of appetizers, you know what I mean? In preparation for the great banquet. You know, the purpose of an appetizer is to make you more hungry. It's to, it's to inflame your passion. But if you, if you stuff yourself on the appetizers, if you get addicted to the appetizers, well then, well then you won't enjoy the great banquet. This world's full of appetizers. But God, God only lets us have a few, huh? <laughs> and for a time. Perhaps God is nurturing a longing within us. He giveth and he taketh away to build a hunger. So we might enjoy the banquet for all eternity. Philemon 1.6 is this verse that God gave Susan when we were separated in college, but I just find it fascinating. It says this, perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Perhaps this is why loved ones die, that you might have them back forever. Perhaps this is why Jesus died. He gives and he takes away to make us hunger and thirst for righteousness, for love, for life, for himself. And so the danger is that our growing desires will scare us and we'll give up on the quest. In other words, we'll give up hope. The danger is that I'll say to my bride, I can't take this any longer. I'm going to go watch football and drink beer until I pass out. Well, the danger is that I'll say to the host, I'm not waiting for the great banquet. I'm going to McDonald's right now, and I'm slamming down 10 Big Macs till I'm, till I'm full. The danger is that I'll give in to despair and then addiction, that I'll try to satiate my desire for adventure on Vail Mountain rather than Mount Zion. I'll try to satiate my desire for conquest on Wall Street rather 
than the golden streets, the desire for warfare with the Marines rather than the kingdom of God. The danger is that I'll seize control of all those dreams and never live those dreams. Think about it. If you seize control of a dream, you're no longer dreaming, right? Have you had that experience? If you seize control of a dream, you're, you're no longer actually dreaming. You're, you're awake. Or maybe you're more asleep, depending on what you think is real. <laughs> your dream or your world of control. I mean, maybe there's some dreams that are, that are, that are more awake than, than being awake. I anyway, what's real? See, I think the danger is that Peter will give up hope and settle for fishing in Galilee because that's a dream that he can control. But when you control a dream, the dream dies. Really, fishing for men with Jesus in his kingdom may just be more than Peter cares to dream or would even dare to dream. But then again, maybe Peter hasn't been dreaming his own dreams. Maybe Peter isn't the dreamer, but the dream. Well, that's kind of a head trip, huh? So anyway, back to this question. What should I do with my dreams? In the movie Galaxy Quest, Jason Nesmith despairs of his dreams. He leaves the convention and, and tries to drown his hopes in a bottle of whiskey. In the morning, real space aliens show up at his back door. They are Thermians from the Klaatun Nebula, and for decades, they've been receiving transmissions of the Galaxy Quest TV show in, in deep space. The, the reruns have been making it to deep space. And they think that they are historical documents. In fact, they are so impressed with the courage and honor and friendship of the Galaxy Quest crew that they proceeded to build an entire civilization based on the Galaxy Quest transmissions. A kingdom entirely real, exactly parallel to this false reality on earth on TV. Well, the Thermians are being destroyed by the evil Emperor Ceres. In desperation, they've come to earth in hope that the brave commander Peter Taggart and his crew can save their people from imminent destruction. They don't know that Peter Taggart and his crew are pretenders. And Commander Taggart, that is Jason, doesn't know that they are real Thermians. He thinks they're middle-aged groupies come to pick him up for a gig that he'd forgotten about because he was so hungover. Well, he falls asleep, and before he's beamed up into space, so he doesn't know that he's beamed up into space, and now he wakes up in the Thermian spaceship, the NSEA protector, thinking it's just a gig. Kind of like when we, you know, come to church and play church, assuming it's all just make-believe. This is great. You know, usually it's just cardboard walls in a garage. Sir, we apologize oh. for operating Whoa. in low power mode, but we are experiencing a hmm, reflective flux field this close to the galactic axis. You know what I could use is a cup holder and a couple of Advil. We're approaching in five ticks, sir. Command to slow. Uh, set it on screensaver two. <laughs> I think it's, we, you know, we get a, uh, oh, sorry to break uh, the, the, the mood here. Um, it's slowed down to mark two, Lieutenant. I see fear. That is expected. Mm -hmm. Ah, they bring a new commander. That's good. Here are I mean, you know, it looks... demands. And if I do not hear what I like... Real. Then there will be blood and pain, mm. as you cannot imagine. First, ah, I require the Omega 13. Second, oh. I will require mm. a technician. Okie dokie, okie dokie. Uh, let's fire blue particle cannons full, red particle cannons full, gannet magnets, fire them left and right, and let them run all shoots while you're at it once you toss that at him, killer. That should take care of old lobster head, shouldn't it? Commander, <laughs> where are 
mean Earth? Yeah, Earth. Time to get back to Earth, kids. But the, the negotiations, you, you you fired on him. Yeah, yeah, long live, uh, what was the planet called? Thermia. Long live Thermia. This way? Oh. But what if Sarah survives? Oh, I doubt I gave him both barrels. He has a very powerful ship. Anyway, if you got any more problems with the guy, just, uh, you know, give me a call. Ow. An interstellar vox. What? Hey. How can we thank you, Commander? You, you have saved our people. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. You know, you kids have been great. You really have. This thing is real looking. You. Hello. <laughs> hey. Where's my limo? If you ever want to understand the biblical doctrine of sanctification, rent Galaxy Quest and just watch it like 15, 20 times, okay? If you saw the movie, you know that what happens next is that Jason convinces the crew to go back up to the spaceship with him, even though they don't believe it's actually real. When they find out, though, that it's not just a gig, they're terrified and want to go back to doing gigs in Van Nuys. Because it's one thing, you know, to pretend to boldly go where no man has gone before, battle evil dragon lords and save entire planets from certain destruction, but it's another thing to actually live the dream. And yet, they begin to live the dream. Not because they need the cash or an ego boost, but because they're beginning to fall in love with the Thermians who are suffering at the hands of the evil dragon lord Ceres. They begin to realize that their dreams are not simply their own dreams. And they realize that their dreams are not simply about themselves. And in this way, their dreams are tested and tried and baptized in the fire of affliction in the service of love. At one point, evil Ceres has Jason sifted like wheat, kind of like Satan has Peter sifted like wheat. In despair, Jason confesses that he's, he's just a pretender. He's just a pretender faking the dream, not living the dream. He, he confesses he's just a pretender, but the Thermians are convinced that he's more than he knows. And of course, he is more than he knows. He's not the author of his own story. He's the character in a movie about a television show. So even his dreams are actually the author's dreams. Did you know that you are more than you know? And so you see, maybe your dreams are really the author's dreams. You don't dream God, because you think that sometimes, that you're dreaming him up. You don't dream God. God dreams you. And ultimately, all of your dreams are his dreams. So don't control the dream, but don't give up on the dream either. Surrender the dream so he can fulfill the dream and you can live the dream. See, Jesus is convinced that you are more than you know. 
He says it. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, God's own people. You are the army of God. You are the bride of Christ. When you love, you are born of God and you know God. You are his very dwelling place and and in you there's an immeasurable greatness of power. You are actually his body. And each one of you is unique, a part of that body. So Jesus says to Peter, follow me, Peter, and I will make you a fisher of men. Drop this gig, and I'll show you what fishing is all about. And so Peter goes on a journey with Jesus. When he's just about to give up, you know, and and you've all had that experience, right? When he's just about to give up the dream, Jesus does something. Like he's at one point, he says, "Peter, go down to the lake, pull a fish out of the water, and take a coin out of its mouth, and pay the tax collector." Boom. Uh, Peter, I want you to feed 5,000 people with these uh, two fish. Peter, come to me walking on the water. Well, after three years, the dream has grown, and then Satan sifts Peter like wheat. Peter fails miserably. Jesus dies. Peter's dream dies. He must have thought it was just my own pathetic dream. In a few days, he's back to fishing in Galilee. And he can't even catch one frickin' fish. Not all night, not one fish. And then all at once, resurrected Jesus appears on the shore and he yells, try the other side of the boat. (laughs) And 153 fish swim into the net. Peter leaves the fish and swims to Jesus. Three times Jesus asks him, do you love me more than these? I think he means these, these fish. And Peter says yes. You see, he doesn't use Jesus to catch fish for himself anymore. He, he fishes because he dreams of Jesus, who is love in flesh. And Peter becomes love in flesh. Christ's body, God's dream. In a few weeks, Peter, baptized in the Holy Spirit, preaches and 3,000 people come, come to the Lord. Pentecost. And you see, that was just a taste of the dream that our Lord dreamed for Peter. Because I think you, each one of you, is probably one of his fish. One of the fish Peter caught. I don't think any of us sees the dream entirely fulfilled in our lifetime. But you see, when we dream a good dream, we're dreaming of the kingdom of heaven. And it's at hand. It's, it's coming down. Ezekiel 47, there's this amazing prophecy that one day the river of life will flow from Mount Zion where Christ was crucified, the throne of God. It will flow from Mount Zion down the Kidron Valley uh, where it joins with the Valley of Gehenna and then on east into the Sea of Arabah. You know what the Sea of Arabah is? It's the Dead Sea. It's the lowest place on earth and in it nothing can live. It's a picture of hell, the abyss and the depths of that sea. And one day, the river of life will flow into it, and it will teem with life. Ezekiel 47, 10, fishermen will stand beside the sea, that sea. And its fish will be a multitude of kinds. See, I don't know exactly what that means, but I think it at least means this, that if you, if you dream of fishing, you're dreaming of heaven because it seems like they fish in heaven, in the kingdom of God. It means at, at least that. And not only do you dream of, of fishing, you dream of pulling life up from the very depths of hell. I'm just saying you and your dreams are just far, far, far more than you know. In Galaxy Quest, the crew saves the Thermians, but not because it's a gig, but because they love the Thermians. Love makes them more than they know, and love knew who they were all along. They land the spaceship right back at the Galaxy Quest convention, but they're no longer pretenders. They're the real deal, for they've lived the dream. So what I'm saying is don't be afraid of your desires, your hopes, your dreams, they're, they're not pathetic. I think they're actually not yours. Even if you've seized control and corrupted them in some way, don't repress them in fear. 
And don't think that you can fulfill them in your own strength. You must surrender them and follow Jesus, and he will baptize your desires and your dreams with fire and make them purer and stronger than you ever dreamed before. He, he takes your desire for intimacy and transforms it from lust into love. He takes your dream for adventure and conquest and transforms it from pride into hope. He takes your desire for riches and transforms it from greed into faith. Faith, hope, and love abide. He takes your dreams and purifies them and enlarges them and then fills them with himself. He takes your life and gives it back to you full of his life. See, all we truly desire, I think all we truly dream about is him. For he is life. He is the life. We dream of him. For he is dreaming of us. Dreaming of him. Peter dreamed of catching fish because Jesus was catching him. He hooked him that day on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And all his life, Jesus was reeling him in. I, I know this sounds like preposterous, but I think Peter was Jesus' big fish. Peter was Jesus' fish story, and all of Jesus' stories are true. For years in worship, I kept having this picture of myself grabbing this huge battle-worn sword and during that time, I remember people that prayed for me, they kept giving vision and dreams of me holding this huge battle-worn sword. Recently, a friend said, Peter, God told me to give you this sword. And um, she did. We hang it on the back of the, of the cross. It's up here all, all the time. And I just need to say that, to me, it seems kind of pathetic. But I think maybe Jesus is calling to Zorro, <laughs> saying, hey, those weren't just your dreams. They were my dreams. So pick up the sword. It, it seems pathetic to me, because you see, at one time I was a big deal in Galilee. I had publishers lined up to publish books I wrote. I was being asked to speak all around the country. I thought I was really swinging the sword and catching the fish. And I think Jesus said to me, follow me. You've been catching fish for yourself, Peter. Now you're going to catch fish for me. And you won't believe the places we'll go fishing. For even the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. And so I tell you, sometimes really it does seem pathetic. But he's not my dream. In other words, I don't dream Jesus up. He, he's not my dream. I'm his dream. And so are you. So don't give up on your dreams but surrender your dreams because you are his dreams. And on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. Do it in remembrance of me. And he took the cup, saying, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. And scripture tells us the life is in the blood. And so I believe he's calling to you to come to his table. He's calling to Zorro and to Batman and Robin and Cinderella and Princess Bride and Captain Kirk and Lieutenant O'Hara. He's calling to you, come to the table and bring your empty dreams. Bring your empty dreams so that I can fill them with my life, his life, and he is love. God is love. Uh, you see, you are actually not the dreamer. You're his dream. 
So come to the table, bring your dreams, and let him fill your dreams with his life and his life. In Jesus' name, let's worship. Listen to me. This is Jason Nesmith. I play Commander Peter Quincy Taggart of NSEA Protector. We accidentally traded boxes the other day when we bumped into each other. Oh. Oh, Commander, I see. Okay. What's your name, son? Brandon? Brandon, I remember you from the convention, right? You asked all those little technical questions about the ship, and I was a little short with you. Yes, yes, I, I know, Commander, and uh, I actually want to, just wanted to tell you that I, I thought a lot about what you said. It's okay, now listen. But, but I want you to know that I'm not a complete brain case, okay? <laughs> I understand completely that it's just a TV show. Wait, oh, hold I know there's no brain. Wait a minute, stop, stop for a second, stop. Wait. No ship. It's all real. Oh my God, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> the crew and I are in a lot of trouble and we need your help. And so you're not a brain case. Uh, the kingdom of heaven really is at hand. And so if you haven't done it already, let's surrender our dreams so we can live our dreams. All right? Would you just close your eyes now for a minute? Because while I was preaching... You were thinking of dreams. And with some of them, you thought, oh, sure, right, uh-huh, that dream is dead. We see, ultimately, you're dreaming of Jesus. And even though he dies, yet he shall live. And he is alive. It's an indestructible life. And so what are your dreams? You dream of rest? Well, he's your rest. Do you dream of purpose? He's the meaning. Do you dream of conquest? Well, you know, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords, and he'd like you to go riding along with him. I don't think you can, you can really even dream a dream unless at its core it's a dream that he's given you. So, so right now, think of your dream, even though you think it's dead, even though you may have given up hope. And just let it go. Say, don't, don't even just let it go. Give it to him. Surrender it. Say, Jesus, here's my dream. And you see, in that way, you can live the dream because he's the dreamer and you're the dream and his life is now your life. And even the point of death is, is really just the beginning of the dream. 
And all of your dreams in this fallen world, all of your hopes, your desires, I don't think they're wasted. St. Saint Paul said, and hope will not disappoint us. In other words, your soul is being stretched. Your longings are being nurtured. You're growing hungrier and hungrier for the kingdom of God that you might forever rejoice in the love of your Lord and your Savior and your Redeemer. And you might even live as his body in this world. So have you given him your dreams? Now follow him. Just follow him. Amen. And, and now I know that there has been just an overabundance of movie clips. But one day, one day, you will see something just like this. Just watch this. The third day of the Galaxy Con, and Jason Nesmith and his entire crew are no-shows here at the big event. Much to the disappointment of all of these fans, known as Quest. Bye, be back soon. Well, hey, Brandon, where are you going with all those fireworks? Well, the protector got super accelerated coming out of the black hole, and it's like nailed the atmosphere at Mark 15, which you guys know is pretty unstable, obviously. So we're going to help Laredo guide it on the Vox Ultra Frequency Carrier and use Roman candles for visual confirmation. All right, all right, dinner's at 7. Not to you, Marsha. Well, he's outside. Hmm. So by way of benediction, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, this is what Jesus came preaching. Repent and believe the gospel. It's good news. It's a good story. And it's your story. In Jesus' name, amen.